Hey, welcome to the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast, where theology and youth ministry meet. You can learn more about Youth Pastor Theologian online at youthpastortheologian.com or find us on social media at Youth Theologian. I'm your host, Mike McGarry. Thanks for joining us for this conversation about practicing theology and youth ministry. Welcome to another episode of the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast. I'm happy to welcome Barnabas Piper to our podcast today. Barnabas is the associate, uh, the assistant pastor at Emmanuel Church in Nashville. He's an author, one of the hosts of the Happy Rant Podcast, and most importantly, the husband and the father of two teenage girls. So Barnabas, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Mike. Hey, so as we start our episodes, I think it's fun just to ask our guests a question to help them to help us know them as a teenager a little bit better. So I know you're a big sports fan. Uh, who was your favorite athlete as a teenager, and uh, what what drew you to them? Yeah, that's a, it's a very these are important formative life questions, at least for me. <laughs> uh, so I grew up near downtown Minneapolis. I uh, could see the Metrodome from my um, from my front yard. So like really in the, in the, I'd say the grip of Minnesota sports. Um, so as yeah. a child, my favorite athlete was Kirby Puckett, twins, all-star yes, I was outfielder. hoping you were going to say that. And that didn't quite carry into my teenage years because he retired right around the time that I became a teenager. Uh, so, but in 1995, the Minnesota Timberwolves drafted a tall, skinny kid out of high school named Kevin Garnett, which was... So his his ascension to stardom was my teenage years. And mm-hmm. so I would say he was my favorite athlete. Uh, also, the reason that I love NBA basketball, because prior to him, the Timberwolves didn't matter at all. And since he left, yep. they also haven't mattered at all. Um, so, yeah, Kevin Garnett, his he was just a few years older than me. His intensity, his love of the game. He loved Minnesota, which not a lot of people a lot of people love Minnesota when they come in from the outside. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, just totally embraced him and his total competitive psychosis. It was awesome. Nice. Love it. Yeah, so I, I'm uh, I'm from the Boston area. So when I think about Minnesota sports, I automatically think about Kirby Puckett. And um, yeah, I was curious if he was going to be your go-to. But there's been uh, some, some trade-offs in Boston and Minnesota athletes indeed so yeah well yeah. i'd say boston has gotten the better end of all of that because you know congratulations on david ortiz uh congratulations yep. on kevin garnett yep. let's see who else um thank you for congratulations that congratulations on randy, randy moss randy moss yeah yeah uh randy yeah, moss there, would be another one who would, he would be like my 1b favorite uh teenage athlete because he broke into the league in 98 which was you know high school for me and yeah you know, set the world on fire and just, yeah. So he, he and Kevin Garnett were sort of pinnacle high school years, just teenage unstoppable. years. Unstoppable. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. much fun and so much personality. That's the other thing is like, they weren't, yeah. they weren't sort of cookie cutter. Like I love Tim Duncan as an, as an NBA fan, but he's boring. Yeah. Whereas Kevin yeah. Garnett is the, the antithesis of boring. So he was interesting, right? Duncan, interesting to watch just because he's so good, but not the personality. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, love it. 
I probably like it more now than I did then because I'm old and, you know, the older you get, the more you like fundamentals and boring things. Yeah. Um, yeah. but at the time I was like, man, this guy's just, just dry toast. <laughs> nice. Love it. Um, Hey, so I'm excited to have you on uh, the show today talking about doubt and deconstruction. Uh, this, just this past Sunday night at youth group, I hosted an, an ask anything night that I do every once in a while, uh, sending out a, a Google form link to students in my group, uh, just to send in and ask anything. Obviously you get the stupid questions that are always fun and ridiculous when you do something like that, but then you get really deep and heavy questions. Um, and it's just really important to give student students space to, to ask their questions and to, um, not just tell them, that you can ask that here, but to create the culture and mm -hmm. the setting and the atmosphere where doubt is not a dirty word. Um, so yeah, I just want to thank you for your book, Help My Unbelief. Um, I know uh, it's been through a few uh, rounds in, in the publishing <laughs> uh, scenario, but I'm really thankful for for that book and the students that I've, I've handed it to uh, have been you know, really blessed by that too. One of the Thanks. things from the book I, I found uh, most helpful was where you talk about distinguishing between unbelieving doubt and believing doubt. What do you mean mm -hmm. by that? Yeah, that, so that is all built on the understanding of doubt as, so if you kind of roll the definition of doubt back to its most basic form, doubt starts with, or is at its, at, you know, at its root is simply not being sure of something sort of starting with, I don't know, I'm not sure, which is neither sinful nor virtuous. Like it's not a good or bad thing, which tends to yep. be how uh, Christianity responds to doubt. It's either, oh, that's an abomination, or there's sort of the, the progressive cultural leaning side of things, which is like doubt is a virtue, just question everything. And, and so it, it, but that's not what doubt is. Doubt is just a limitation on knowledge, you go, I'm not really sure about that. So if that's the case, doubt can move in a direction that either moves towards faith, or moves in a direction that moves towards rebellion against God. And that's the difference between believing doubt and unbelieving doubt. In really simple terms, some kind of basic characteristics of that would be, um, believing doubt is, think of, think of faith like a child, the, the way that mm -hmm. children ask questions. Children ask questions nonstop. So it's, it's yeah. not a lack of questions. It is a willingness to take your questions directly to the source, because that's what children do. They run straight up to mom or dad. Hey, why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? When can I have ice cream? When are we going to Disney World? Like, it's just <laughs> nonstop. And yeah. then the parent answers, and the child absorbs the answer, and usually comes back with more questions. But there is, there's kind of a built-in innate trust when in those questions, knowing this is the reliable source. So believing doubt is having questions, not being sure, recognizing our limitations and knowing, oh, God is, God is where I take those questions. God's word is where mm -hmm. I take those questions. What he has told us that is just infallibly reliable. Doubt, um, unbelieving doubt is more like, well, let's just move up an age bracket especially since this is aimed at youth ministry. It's the way teenagers right. question their parents. So yeah. children, little children ask, their, ask questions and just believe the answers. Even if they don't like them, they're like, fine, okay. 
teenagers are looking for every loophole. They're looking to challenge authority, looking to, I, I have two teenagers at home. So this is coming from everyday, you know, everyday conversations. Life. Yep. How can they find their way around what you're saying to get what they want? Their faith is not in your knowledge. They have kind of gained the assumption of, I might be smarter than you, dad. Um, that's unbelieving doubt in a nutshell when we take that attitude towards God. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to try to find loopholes. I don't trust your answers. No answer is quite good enough. I'm pretty dead set on what I want to do. And uh, so if you tell me to do something else or believe something else, I'm not really down with that. I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. So it's, it's this, the attitude of a believing child or a skeptical teenager that kind of defines yeah. the separation between believing and unbelieving doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's a, such a helpful category um, because it is, there's so many times I think uh, we can all point back to moments when our faith grew. And a lot of times it was either suffering or doubt that kind of prompted mm -hmm that spiritual growth in our own stories. So. Yeah. I don't know how anybody grows spiritually without, um, a significant amount of questions. If, yeah. if you, if your faith has never encountered something that, that is just like sort of a deep burning, nagging question, it's probably a really fragile or inconsequential faith. I think, mm -hmm. like you said, I mean, yeah. suffering, is the thing that tests faith and grows faith because the Lord proves himself. You know, I don't remember the hymn, but it's, you know, Jesus, Jesus, how I've trust him, how I've proved him mm -hmm. or and or. That doesn't mean that I've proved Jesus in apologetics. It means that Jesus has proved yeah. himself in my life. My life is evidence exactly. repeatedly. Well, that's through suffering, through questions. So yeah, I think yeah. I think it's so important, especially in dealing with teenagers who are wet cement when it comes to the, their faith. Yep. You know, that, yeah, fire away with all your questions. God is not the least bit offended. He's not bothered. Look at the way that Jesus handled people who came. The only people who Jesus did not respond to well, I should say, graciously with questions mm -hmm. were the Pharisees. But that's because they were trying to undermine him, not seeking what is true. Everybody yeah, they were who trying to trap him. Jesus, they, weren't, yeah. they weren't asking doubt. They were trapping him. Right. And I mean, and any parent of a teenager knows this, any youth pastor knows this, like yep. you get a question, you're like, yeah, I can smell, I can smell the test on this one. Like this is, this is not a true question, but yeah, teenagers just need to know questions are, they're the currency of learning. They're how, they're how God invites us deeper into truth oftentimes. So not only are they safe, they're, they're necessary. Like they're, they're good. Yeah. No, that's good. So how can youth workers cultivate an atmosphere where doubt is safe to express and where students really can feel like, yeah, I can ask my honest questions and maybe I can mm -hmm. even disagree with my small group leader and say, I'm not sure if I actually believe that. Yeah, the the environment of safety is. Um, first of all, I want to differentiate it from sort of the the cultural safe space kind yeah. of motif that, you know, because a safe space culturally means nobody asks any questions and essentially it's safe because you will never be challenged. That's right. antithetical to Christian growth. God challenges us all the time. We should be confronting and challenging our own sins. 
there's, mm-hmm. I mean, conflict of the soul is kind of built into growth as a Christian. I, I mean, and the rest of life, you always grow by being challenged in work, yeah. in fitness, in skills and whatever. So this is not that when we say safety, we're talking about non non condemning. We want an atmosphere where students can come in. Jesus is held high. The word of God is held in utmost regard. And you will not be condemned for struggling or for questioning. I think the most important thing to remember is that Jesus is not the least bit bothered by questions Mm -hmm. or disagreement. He is not pearl clutching and offended and fearful of a a 16-year-old who says, man, sometimes the Bible just seems like an archaic, historic text, and I I just don't connect with it. God's not gasping and like, oh, how could you? It's okay. Well, c- come on in. Let me invite you into the presence of the spirit and let's, let's talk through this. So the yeah. youth leaders need to have the same confidence in the gospel that God has in his gospel. That's the starting point. And then the recognition that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So if a teenager is way out of line in their actions or in their where their beliefs are going, they will not be compelled to believe by being shamed or or criticized mm-hmm. or fought with. Now that doesn't mean that there's not room for okay, let's have a respectful conversation and I'll present a side and you'll present a side. Odds are the leader you're going to be able to present a side better because you're you're older, more mature and you think better. I would hope um, I would hope there are some really there were some really smart <laughs> teenagers though, so that yeah. that may not always be the case. Yeah. But kindness, warmth, welcome, the love of Christ are the the most compelling factors in drawing somebody to the truth. There are a lot of times I think that teenagers they're not compelled to believe intellectually; they're compelled to believe because yeah. they find welcome and love and and acceptance in a Christian environment that they wouldn't find elsewhere. The world is a nasty place to, well, to everybody, but especially to adolescents. It's, Mm -hmm. it's judgmental, it's comparative, it's hierarchical. It's a whole bunch of things that leave people feeling insecure, unwelcomed. And if they walk into a church and it doesn't matter if they're dressed goth or, you know, stylish or dirt poor or whatever, they're welcomed with warmth and an embrace yeah. and dignity and respect. That, that is a presentation of the gospel all itself. And yes. from that, the questions can flow because the environment says, okay, I can be me here, and I, I wonder about the Bible, about Christ, about whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, so it, it's I, my hunch, it, it, I have no research to back this up other than you know, being a mid forties guy who's been in youth ministry for a long time. But my hunch is that the apologetics movement from when we were teenagers through young Mm -hmm. adults led to like a lot of big brains and just this argumentative mindset in evangelism. Uh, So when people asked questions and when teenagers asked their questions, we just, confronted their minds and their brains, but not their hearts. Uh, And it led to this intellectualized 
approach to evangelism and apologetics that then when, um, you know, millennials just spit that out, which I totally get. Yeah. You know, it, it then was like, oh, well, you know, it, apologetics doesn't work anymore. It's like, no, like it's not it's not apologetics fault. Well, I think, yeah, I think so. I, I would have you came at it from the apologetic side. I might come at it from the systematic theology side with the exact mm, same yeah. kind of framework of yeah. statements. OK, because I grew up in a very systematic theology context and yep. was really well versed and adept at arguing matters with systematic theology. And then I went right, to college and right. studied it. And that framework was lifeless in my soul. You know, yeah. it, the, the heart behind that was still prideful, still sinful, still sh like mm -hmm. fragile, hypocritical, a lot of different things. And, and it took the Lord essentially crumbling my systematic theology or rather my pride in my systematic theology so that I could... Right find that just foundational, like you said, the heart of the matter, that, that life in Christ. Yeah. And I don't think systematic theology matters less now. I just think it's found its kind of proper place. And yeah. I think apologetics is, is similar because it's a, it's a system of argument to explain big truths. That's, that's what systematic theology is. That's what apologetics yeah. are. They yeah. overlap a lot. And yeah. And I, those things really matter, but I heard, I heard a pastor uh, say, one time I was at a conference and somebody asked me about Calvinism and uh, he shrugged and he said, man, Calvinism should be like underwear. Everybody should have it. It's really good for support and nobody should see it. And I think the <laughs> same is true by and large for yeah. systematic theology and apologetics. Everybody yeah. should be, everybody should be invested in this. It's really good for support and you just, it, it, you don't wear it on the outside. It's not your Jersey. It's your underwear. And, yeah. uh, and I think that that's, I think we can raise adolescents to be well-versed in those things without knowing they're well-versed in it. Yeah. You know, they can be super capable at defending the inerrancy of scripture or yeah. believing deeply in it, maybe even more than defending it without being able to say, this is the inerrancy of scripture as much as just, this is God's word. This is, this is it for me. Yeah. Cool. I don't, you don't need the labels. You don't need the Jersey. You, you do need the, the support that goes with you every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agreed. So it's funny. I, I've actually heard that underwear analogy um, applied in different. So one of my New Testament professors in seminary used that about exegesis. Uh, so he's like, you know, we're going through this class on revelation. He said, you know, all you guys who are studying to become pastors and, and preachers and you know, just let your exegesis be your underwear. I'm going to trust that you have mm -hmm. it on, but I, I don't need to see it. Um, yeah, that, you know, that I'm, a so big, I'm a big believer it's in a that good too. Line. Yeah, nobody yeah. needs to hear your Greek during the sermon, yeah. generally You don't speaking. need to preach your exegetical, you know, That's right. <laughs> su support it, do your do your exegesis. But right. yeah, so I, I think that line has lots of different applications. And sometimes with good intention, we just like, all right, yes, you're very yeah. smart. Congratulations. It, it makes me think that like, Somebody needs to write a ministry book called like underwear or outerwear and uh, <laughs> and start and start categorizing the different things we do in ministry. It would. Yeah. Maybe that's your next one. No. Youth ministry no. underwear. How's that going to yeah. go over? Oh, it would probably actually sell better than anything else I've written, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, right. what a state uh, we live in.
I, I know. Yeah. All right. I need to move on or I'm going to keep going on about that. Uh, so thinking about just doubt and uh, the deconstruction movement that's going on, uh, can you talk to us a little bit about how are doubt and deconstruction linked together? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think I'd probably need to start by saying, I don't know, you know, I don't know the, the spectrum of listeners, but when people hear deconstruction, they're probably hearing yeah. a whole array of different things. And it's yeah. a really hard thing to discuss without kind of having an agreed upon definition. Um, yeah. Cause on the one hand, I think there's a, there's a very harmful version of deconstruction, which is the, what it, what amounts to abandoning the faith. Yeah. I no longer believe. Then on the other side, there's a deconstruction that I would consider probably helpful, which is the deconstructing of unhelpful cultural norms in the, in the church. Um, yeah. You see it in large denominations where there have been leadership issues for a long time and people are deconstructing their, their church experience. They're not walking away from Jesus. Their relationship with Jesus and even their desire to be part of a church are, are rich and full. Uh, but they're very skeptical of how it has been done. Okay, that seems helpful to me. Like we should always yeah. be discarding what is, un, what is hurtful and unhelpful in the church. I would hope. So let's... I, so with that in mind, just kind of the, the spectrum of, of what deconstruction can be, I think most deconstruction uh, starts with some version of doubt. There, there becomes yeah. a seed of doubt of, I'm not sure that this is true, or I'm not sure that what I've been presented with is the best or is real. And that's true whether or not you're talking church polity or whether or not you're talking about the inerrancy of scripture. So doubt is the starting point. The question of whether or not deconstruction is helpful or unhelpful is the same question as whether or not doubt is believing or unbelieving. Um, so if you're deconstructing in a helpful way, meaning I want to, I want to see the church um, improved. I want to pare away the, the unhealthy, hurtful things and leave us with this core of what God intended. Believing doubt drives you there because what you're questioning is yeah. the stuff that is counter biblical, that's unbiblical. Right. That's, you know, if, if you're at the place where you're like, the church hurt me, so I no longer believe in Jesus, that, that was unbelieving doubt that walked you into that place of deconstruction. So I think on a practical basis, when we're talking about ministering to teenagers, they're on the front end of these things. Um, you know, it's one thing to talk to a 40-year-old lady who has walked away from the church and her faith because she's been hurt, because that's probably decades of experience. And yeah. there's a, that's a different conversation than a, you know, most 17-year-olds most haven't been hurt by the church that bad. They, they are hypersensitive to, hypo, you know, to hypocrisy or hypocritical tendencies yeah. in the church yeah. or their parents or whatever. Like maybe they're at one church and that pastor had an affair. And so now they're like, I can't trust anybody. Well, that's where, that's where we need to come in and basically help them say like this, the faith and the church are not defined by any, any human person other than Jesus yeah. Christ. There is no pastor who defines the church. So if he failed, the church didn't fail. He failed the church and so forth. Right. And so we can, we can kind of direct those things to say, yeah, have, you should be incensed at hypocrisy. But also, mm -hmm. the response is not, therefore, this whole thing is BS. Rather, 
it's well let's live genuinely what right. what what is the what is a better way to do this and teenagers will can see that and i and i think i think we'll buy into that so that at the on the front end you can help navigate deconstructing what needs to be done away with versus deconstructing of the faith yeah that's helpful it's one of those questions that i've i've heard a few times about what does deconstruction in youth ministry look like and honestly i do think i think that you nailed it that it deconstruction in youth ministry looks like doubt and it looks like the seeds of doubt and differentiating between believing doubt and non-believing doubt yeah high schoolers can't deconstruct much because they don't have much constructed you know like there's yeah and i don't i don't say that to demean teenagers that you know there's a the world is full of stories of teenagers who have done remarkable things in faithfulness to jesus christ so this isn't a question of genuineness but rather of history yeah You, you they don't have a long history of banked pain or careful analysis that's that is just not the the that's not the time frame of a teenager so yeah deconstruction is for a, for a high schooler a teenager is very much doubting what they have been told at some level so yeah. how are we navigating that well and i think just developmentally um i mean you take you get a group of 16 year olds together and some of them are still playing Minecraft. You know, others are transitioning their gender and others are looking to, you know, go into pastoral ministry or missions. Like there, there's such a wide variety of how yeah. people develop and what their identity formation looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and just generally speaking, most of the students that I would put into the deconstruction camp that's usually sophomore year at earliest Mm -hmm. uh, because i i think middle schoolers just tend to reflect and parrot back what their parents believe uh even if they think their parents are stupid and nothing their parents say is right what they know just a level of critical thinking is missing there yeah yeah so it's just you know I think when we were growing up, we called it just making your faith your own. And I think in yeah. some ways, how how is deconstruction different from just making your faith your own? The healthy, the healthy senses of deconstruction, right. I guess. Well, and that's, and that's, yeah, exactly. Because I think there's a, I think at the, at the high school level, there's not that much difference. And, and frankly, yeah. um, I think... I think people in youth ministry probably need to keep the like the parable of the sower right at the front of our minds in the yep. sense that the vast majority of what you're offering to high schoolers will not bear any fruit soon. And if it does, you might want to be skeptical of that fruit because yeah. the the things the things that I mean I did not come into and I'm you know I'm not the paradigm here but I'm I'm a version of coming into my own faith with the Lord's guidance obviously the stuff that stuck with me from high school didn't like those seeds were planted deep and they bore fruit 10 years later not two months later 
that's not to say that there's not people who genuinely walk with the Lord faithfully from age 14 to death. But so much of what's happening is we is putting the word of God in and trusting that the Holy Spirit will bring it to life at some point. Yeah. And so the making of faith their own is like that there's a there's a time frame there too. So a a lot of what you see is somebody who's a professing believer now, you know, they're baptized at, at age 12 or, you know, as an infant if you're Presbyterian, but they, yeah. they're faithfully connected to the church, walking with the Lord. They deconstruct at 24, 28 and come alive to Christ at 30. Okay. Like, is that ideal? I don't know. Anybody who comes alive to Christ is ideal in my mind. So that's great. Yep. Yeah. And then there's others who, they're the ones who are sitting in the back row with their hoods pulled down over their head, sound asleep while you're trying to teach. And you're so frustrated because it's like bouncing a rubber ball off a wall. And they're the next lead pastor of your church. Like, who? we, we don't have any say in this. We are faithful yeah. to present the gospel. I, I do not care very much about the title deconstruction, because at this point, it, it matters in a cultural, like, okay, this is an era thing. But when you're talking to an individual, there's always something unique going on. Yeah. There is a, a personal struggle with sin. So, so much of deconstruction is I don't want to give up the sin in my life. There's a personal, con uh, a personal struggle with pain. How can I believe in a God who allows this? Or of skepticism. I don't know if I can give myself to a church when it's allowed this to happen. And the same is not that dissimilar for teenagers. Like The idea of submitting your life to Christ is scary. I remember as a high schooler thinking, if I fully give my life, and I was a professing believer, if I fully mm -hmm. give my life to Christ, he might make me do something I don't want to do. He might make me move somewhere, be somebody, be poor, yep. you know, yep. of all things, yep. how horrible. That, that was my <laughs> mindset. And I just did, which means that I just didn't have an understanding of how Christ is with his people. And yeah, yeah so I, I, I think dealing with the individual doubts, the individual questions, and keeping that mindset of we are, we are giving them the seeds of the gospel, and the Lord will grow them when the Lord grows them, takes a ton of pressure off of how do I, how do I navigate this deconstructing 17-year-old? You, you don't. They don't even know how to do it. How are you going to do it? And no. other than gospel and patience. Yeah, that's a good word. Um, I, I, I think we're too hung up with trendy words and phrases sometimes. Um, and I think deconstruction falls into that same category as adulting. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it, just stop. Like adults don't talk about adulting. Um, right. you know, like it, phrases that catch on, it's like, okay, like that's cute. Um, so I, I wouldn't worry too much about the phrase deconstructing and when students say, yeah, I'm no. deconstructing. It's like, it's just a phrase that they're hearing. It's the same, like. You're, you're, they're navigating their faith. They're figuring out what do I believe? What don't I believe? Yeah. They're making the faith their own. They're figuring out if they're abandoning the faith. Um, it's just ministry, evangelism, discipleship. Don't get paranoid and thrown off by the yeah. word deconstruction. Yeah, it is so far from a boogeyman kind of thing where like, if, yeah. if it, it, you know, if if my daughter came in and said, dad, I'm deconstructing my faith. I mean, I'm sure that there would be a gut level response of like, Oh no. But I think my first question would be, what do you mean by that? Like, yeah, what, what's exactly. actually going on here? And then the conversation would pertain to whatever questions she had, whatever doubts she had, whatever pieces she was trying to like, you know, she's, she's 16. And so she's, you know, she's kind of on the front end of learning how to put 
together yeah. what what priorities she has in life, faith-wise and, and everything else. Okay, that's a different conversation that's fruitful. Mm-hmm. That is, that's a, it's a kind of a privilege to be invited into. And so, yeah, I don't, and that's probably the same way we should handle adults who say they're deconstructing. You just kind of look yeah. at them and go, okay, like, I, fine. I'm not going to argue with that terminology, but also I have no, like, what, do, what are we actually talking about here? And then right. let's talk about what we're talking about. Cause deconstruction is not a, not a thing you can intelligently discuss with an individual. Yeah, no, that, that's helpful. Uh, so a, as we wrap up, are, are there any resources or recommendations that you want to close this out with? In terms of just what might be helpful with high schoolers or for the leaders themselves? It, yeah, just in general, just for, for youth pastors to equip, uh, to be equipped yeah. in, in navigating doubt and deconstruction with students when they ask hard questions, when they say they yeah. doubt the gospel or they're deconstructing mm-hmm. and abandoning their childhood. You know, maybe it's someone who you baptized last year and now all yeah. of a sudden they're like, I'm not sure I'm a believer anymore. You know, what, what resources yeah, would you point us to? Yeah, it. What comes to mind for me are not like when you say that my mind initially jumped straight to just kind of like we were talking about earlier, like the apologetics resources. And I'm like, I don't think that's the answer, especially not with high schoolers. I think the first thing that I would recommend are are books that deal with richness in life with Christ. Because if you as a leader have that, you can invite somebody into it. You don't need to have answers to all the specific questions. That's helpful over time. But but it can also be counter it kind of it's kind of counterintuitive but it can be counterproductive yeah. as well if somebody's yeah. like i have questions about the inerrancy of scripture and you're like well here's 11 pieces of evidence usually what they're saying is i don't trust god not i have questions yeah. about this historical artifact so you want to invite them into reality with god in a way that says i'm i'm safe here this is this yeah. is what god intended for me so a couple off the top of my head there's going to be a recurring theme here there's a book called The Gospel by Ray Ortland. Ray founded mm-hmm. Emmanuel, where I serve now. And the, that book looks at how the gospel shapes the life of a church. But you can yeah. just as easily say, how does it shape the life of a youth ministry in terms of doctrine and culture and safety, the kind of safety we were talking about earlier? Yep. That's, yep. A, that's a really significant one, because if, if you can get that, then a youth ministry becomes a place where teenagers with all sorts of questions can, can find genuine safety in Christ. Um, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, so Ray's oh. son. Uh, and yep. I think Ray would very willingly say Dane's book is better than anything he's ever written. Um, he's, you know, he's his, his son's biggest uh, advocate. Yeah. And it is, it's another one that, I mean, you can go, th- you can go through it with teenagers. It's, it's got some yeah, denser parts, but it's written clearly. It's, it's not, understandable. It's not archaic. Yeah. Um, and then on the more intellectual side, this is going to, it's almost so obvious that I'm reluctant to say it, but I think more people are aware of it than have actually read it. I would say Mere Christianity and Orthodoxy. So Mere Christianity by mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis and Orthodoxy yep. by G.K. Chesterton are two of the best books ever written to help somebody think through Christianity. And they will, they will stretch you. But mere Christianity is is again pretty clear. It's not a yeah. it's not an academic text. Orthodoxy is a little more complex, but again, so worth it. And those are ones that that are probably worth revisiting every two or three years. Um, 
And if you have older students who are looking to really kind of figure out how do I, how do I think about being a Christian? Go there. Those yeah. are, those are yep. so worth it. So, and so profound. Yeah, no, that's a good word. Well, thanks, Barnabas, for joining us on this episode of the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Uh, I'd encourage you to check out Barnabas on The Happy Rant and buy all of his books online. And um, yeah, so check that out. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Well, thanks for joining us for this conversation. Please visit youthpastortheologian.com to learn more about our resources. You can find us on social media at Youth Theologian. We also have an active Facebook group where you can ask questions, share articles, and generally encourage fellow youth pastor theologians who are in the trenches with you. We'd sure appreciate it if you'd be so kind as to subscribe, leave a review, or even recommend this podcast to fellow youth workers. You can also subscribe to get new articles delivered to your inbox and to ensure that you don't miss any fresh content by checking out our website at youthpastortheologian.com. Most of all, we appreciate your ministry and your partnership in the gospel. If there's a topic that you'd like us to address or if you have an article to submit for the blog, then you can also share those on our website by following the submissions tab. In the meantime, keep your eyes on Jesus and we'll see you next week.